It's amazing how a song that was sung, you hear it differently, different parts of the season. Where I, first time Matt sang that song, I thought about it as, as the word alive in this congregation moving through the preached word. It's amazing how that song sounds different during Christmas when we know that the word of God became alive and lived among us to, to reach us and to grab us and to, to heal a broken world. And so, thank you, Matt. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, we ask that, you're, that Christ would be present in this place. We ask that, that, that these words spoken would become your words and that the Holy Spirit would, who opened the eyes of Simeon and Anna would open our eyes as well to Christ. We pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Simeon and Anna had been watching, hoping, expecting, waiting for a very long time. Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. Anna waited for the redemption of Judah or Jerusalem. Simeon was known in Jerusalem for his, his goodness and fairness. Simeon was a faithful worshiper at the temple. You better believe he came the Sunday after Christmas. <laughs> when few others would come. Thank you for being here this morning. God had promised Simeon that before he died, he would see the Messiah. And so Simeon waited with the faithfulness of a, a soldier who, who watches or as a servant who guards the front door, waiting for the master to come home. Anna was 84 years old. She was a daughter of the tribe of Asher. Some, would say, some said that the women from that tribe were the prettiest of all of Israel. She'd been married once, but her husband died seven years after they had been married. And so she spent a very long time in the temple. She spent every day and every night in the temple praying and fasting. Both Simeon and Anna waited. And they waited a very long time. When they began to wait, they were young, vibrant. But over the years, their eyes had become tired. Their youthful hands wrinkled. They waited. I imagine it's difficult for both of them to wait as long as they did. I get tired of waiting in a fast food line. That only takes minutes, right? We get, we get tired when the internet is a little slow, right? We get tired when the express lane in the supermarket has six or seven people. Minutes. They waited years. They had to endure what happens when you wait a long time. They had to endure frustrations. They had to endure doubt. They had to endure death. The death of parents, of spouses, of brothers and sisters, cousins. They had to endure the death of friends. They had to endure that terrible sting 
and yet they waited. It's hard to wait. But everything changed on the day Jesus was presented in the temple. And you can kind of, you can catch the excitement as Simeon rushes in, grabs Jesus. I mean, at first glance, when I first read that, I go, it'd be kind of weird. You're with your child, and someone runs up to your child, grabs them, and says, hey, this is the, the hope of Israel. I mean, that would be kind of different for Mary and Joseph. But can you blame Simeon? He'd been waiting years and years and years, and suddenly the Holy Spirit opens his eyes, and for what he's been looking for, suddenly that's him. And how can he not run to this child, grab the child, and then say these following words, verses 29 through 32. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people of Israel. What a glorious day. How can he not be excited? And the most powerful word to me in this whole passage is the word now. Right after years of waiting, now is the time. It's happened. The Holy Spirit's over. Now your Messiah has come. Now the consolation is here. Way back, Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort your people. Now it's the comforts here. The consolation is here. The redemption is here. Now it's happening. It's, it's, it's right now in my arms. You can tell Simeon must have been excited, ecstatic. I mean, you should have seen Abigail on Christmas Day. I told you about how she'd been waiting. On Christmas Day, she woke up and she came to our room. And we said, you know, no, it's not Christmas. No, it's not Christmas for four weeks. And so she kind of said, Mom, Dad, is it Christmas? And we said, yes, it is, sweetie. Santa's come now, and you can open your presents now. And suddenly, this little girl who's like, is it? She stands straight and bolts straight to the other room, to the presents, before we could even get the camera out, she had ripped open, you know, three presents. because They weren't even her own presents. She didn't care. <laughs> right? Because it's now. Now. That's the excitement. Now it's happened. In fact, Jesus, we read in verse 21, Claude put in 21, and the reason they sometimes the lectionary separates it is because he was circumcised on the eighth day, but then it was later when he was presented. But the eighth day is very important. Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day. Why? To, to point to a future hope, right? You have the first week, and you have the fall, you know, that happens. And so they're waiting, not in the first week, but you have a fall. And so they're waiting for the new week, the eighth day, when God would make something new. So circumcision happened because they were looking forward to a new hope, that 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 day of, of salvation, the day of consolation, the day of joy. And so they circumcised on the eighth day because they were looking forward to that hope. In fact, Jesus was transfigured on the eighth day. Jesus rose on the eighth day because that new day they were looking forward to. So when Simeon grabs Jesus and says, now, he's saying, it's here, it's now, it's, it's begun. All those Old Testament promises, now, with me, in my hands. How can he not be excited? And so then he says the words, now let your servant depart in peace or dismiss your servant in peace. Most of us, when we hear those words, think he's saying, now I can die. 
in peace. But if you look literally, it says, it says, now set your servant free or set free your servant in peace. There's a big difference between dying in peace and set free in peace. I mean, you can see why you can translate it both ways. But now let me die in peace or let me be set free in peace. There is a difference. And one's death, the other could be Set me free from this prison. Set me free from this pain. Set me free from my captivity. It's amazing, though, why, how those then collide. Because what he's doing is, don't you understand? He's holding the one who's going to set him free from sin, death, and the devil. He's holding the one who, who will, will set him free from his pain and his doubt and his worry and sorrow. And so now he truly can have peace because he's holding the one who liberates, who sets free from sin, death, the devil, from death. And so in many ways, I think about how he is the first, in some ways, the first Christian to have the hope of resurrection. Now, you have that in the Old Testament, so I can't quite say it that way, but, but you can see what's happening, right? He's holding the one who defeats the grave. And so he's saying, now set me free in peace. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling what's happening there. There's, there's hope of resurrection. I think about all of us who have lost loved ones and you see in cemeteries, you have the words like rest and peace. And what those words are meant to do is they're meant to say, we sleep, but there's a resurrection. Right? Let us sleep in peace. Let us depart in peace. Let us rest in peace. Set us free in peace. Knowing that there's a resurrection. That's what Simeon's saying. Lord, you, you can set me free now. I know there's a resurrection. I have peace. What I was hoping for, I now see. I have peace. Beautiful words. And then he continues, though, by speaking a light of revelation to the Gentiles. I couldn't help but think of what was happening at that very moment when he spoke those words, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the Magi, Gentiles, had begun following a star, a light that they began following that would lead them to Christ. Even as he spoke those words, Gentiles, Gentile kings, are following this light. And Jesus came not only for, for Jews, he came for the whole world. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the life. <laughs> and he's beginning to shine in this dark world so that all might come to see him. A light, a revelation to the Gentiles. And yet it's this last phrase that might be just as important, as, or is as important as any of the others. And glory to your people Israel. God's glory, do you remember in the wilderness, God's glory came upon the ark and the tabernacle, it guided Israel in their wanderings in the wilderness. 
After the priests processed with the ark to the newly built Jerusalem temple, God's glory filled the temple. Now, right before the, the temple was destroyed, Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord leave it in Ezekiel 10. Then after the exile, they came back and the people built a new temple and they wept. Why? Because the glory of the Lord wasn't there. Now, most of us interpret it, it just wasn't as glorious. No, no, no. The glory of the Lord wasn't there. But there was a promise that the glory of the Lord would come. And it would come in a much greater way into the temple. And don't you understand what's happened now? This is what's so crazy. Jesus is the glory of God, the king of glory. He's now in the temple. What they had longed for, the glory of God to come fill the temple, he is now in that temple. He is there. He's being presented in that place. The glory of the Lord had returned. Oh, Lord, set me free in peace. Your glory has come, has returned to this place. Oh, the power of it. And yet it's, it's, it's probably a lot different than people imagined the glory returning would be. Right? When we think of the glory of the Lord coming back upon the temple, what do you expect? Heaven's opening, a bright light, you know, stronger than any flashlight. I mean, just coming from the heavens, shining down, radiating that place. Whatever gold's in the temple, just shining bright. You can hardly see. You might think of Indiana Jones and the ark and the temple, people's faces melting. I mean, this crazy, powerful, the earth shaking and rumbling. I imagine even Anna and Simeon thought that's what would happen. But the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to say, no, 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 the glory of God has come in a greater way. In a little baby brought into the temple. How can that be? How can that be glorious, God? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem the way it should be. I mean, Mary and Joseph, they're not even rich. They can't even present a normal lamb for the offering. They have to offer two turtle doves, two doves. How can that be glorious, God? But maybe that's exactly the point. Wasn't Jesus coming to turn everything upside down? I mean, the first time the glory of the Lord shone upon the temple, the people couldn't touch it. They didn't have access to it. They were afraid of it. But the greater glory is when God comes in a child in an accessible way so that we would have access, so that the temple curtain would be torn, so that God wouldn't just abide in a little temple at all, but could abide in us. So we could lay hold of Christ. For God wasn't coming in power at that time and wasn't coming in wrath. He was coming in gentleness and mercy and forgiveness, love. Isn't that more glorious anyway? I mean, isn't the, the you have presents that cost an arm and a leg that you give and you receive and you like them, but then you also have these presents that might be really simple. You know, a picture frame painted by your daughter and, and it's supposed to be green and it's green and yellow and white and chipped because she dropped it, but her little face is in it. 
and you love that more than any of the big presents you got? Isn't that what God's doing in sending Christ this way? Isn't this more glorious? He's reversing everything. Turning everything upside down, coming in a, in a lowly child to forgive us, to renew us, to, to love us. And so, of course, Jesus was born in a manger because he wanted us to be in the inn. And, of course, Jesus was wrapped in swallowing cloths because he was wrapping us with his righteousness. Of course, Jesus would be rejected so that we might be accepted. Of course, Jesus would thirst so that we might have that living water. Jesus died so that we would live. Jesus was turning everything upside down. In fact, that's why Mary's soul would be pierced. Because so many people in Israel would not and could not believe that God would work this way. They were usually the real rich and powerful who didn't believe God worked that way. But for the others who did believe, the others who who believed that God was coming in this very special, glorious way, for them that received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, nor of good works, but born of God. Well, Reformation, Reformation. For us, the wait is both over and it continues. You no longer have to wait for salvation. Christ came. Christ defeated sin, death, and the devil for you. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. Your life really belongs to Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. You don't have to wait for that. But you do have to wait for the resurrection. We have to wait for that day when all things will be put away and everything will be made new. We have to wait for that glorious day, that party. I can't wait for that party. We wait for the, for the Lord who turns water into wine. And we wait for the Lord who kills the fatted calf for the prodigal son. We wait for that day when there'll be no more credit card bills, <laughs> no more doubt, no more sorrow, no more funerals. I can't wait for that day. can't wait for the day when when God Almighty will say, now it's time. Let the party begin. Now it's time. Now. But until that day, the Lord gives us this meal as a foretaste, something to hold on to, something to believe in, something to, to take as a foretaste of that great and glorious feast to come. Can't wait for that new day. In Jesus' name, amen.